culture is, as you know, I'm so passionate about culture. I think it's the biggest advantage, sustaining advantage of any team period, sport, business, school, if it's sustained over time. It is the biggest competitive advantage. And the thing is, culture is an ecosystem that's alive. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Have you guys heard of Beam? I have been absolutely loving their products lately. Beam is a CBD company that's making waves in the running world by offering products that combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. It was founded by two ex-professional athletes with the idea that everyone should have the chance to experience what better feels like. Whether you're sore or stressed, Beam is key for recovery and self-care. Try it for yourself with 15% off using the code FTLR from beamtlc.com. I recommend Beam Dream Powder or the Focus Capsules. This episode is brought to you by Super Coffee, the healthy, delicious alternative to sugary coffee drinks. Super Coffee was recently named the fastest growing food and beverage brand in America by Inc. Magazine, and after tasting a bunch of their flavors, I can see why. Their coffees contain zero sugar, and many of them contain 10 grams of plant-based protein. They're growing in popularity in the running community, and I'm excited to share a special discount with you. They offer a 60-day money-back guarantee, meaning if you don't love it, you get your money back, no questions asked. Grab 15% online with the code FTLR or look for them nationwide in 25,000 stores like Target, Whole Foods, Walmart, Kroger, and CVS. Cheers. Welcome back. I have Kevin Rutherford joining me on the podcast today. Kevin, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Oh, gosh. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's great to be here. Of course. Always fun to chat with you. It's usually in a place that neither of us live, uh, which is uh, which makes it even more fun. So true. It's been a while. It's been a while. I can't wait for those days to come back. Absolutely. So before we get too far into it, first question is always a tough one. Uh, who is Kevin? Oh, good question. I was hoping you could help me. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess if I was to distill it down to one word, um, probably it would be teammate. And I say that teammate in life, right? Because this journey, none of us are doing it alone. So that relates to being a husband, you know, a son, a brother, and then, of course, a teammate at work. So that's kind of why, if I was to distill it down to one word, it would probably come down to teammate for sure. I love that. It's, it's in line with a lot of what I've read and heard about you and Noon and your work at Noon, where your title is CEO, but not... Not your standard CEO, is that correct? That's true. So I go by the uh, self-proclaimed. Hopefully my team at noon uh, agrees with it. But I, I go by the chief eternal optimist. And honestly, that's really intentional. There's a couple things that I'm – the reason why I use that as my title is, one, I think for me, 
I think about possibilities, so that's the optimist coming out. But two, the other thing I really wanted to do was break down barriers that can come with hierarchy, right? So it's just a title at the end of the day. So how do we demystify it and break down those barriers, psychological barriers that are self-imposed? And so that's why I, I almost never, actually, unless it's a formal document, reference myself as you know, chief executive officer. Very cool. Well, I want to dive more into that, but let's let's sort of set the stage as Kevin as the athlete. Do you remember your first run? Oh, gosh. Do I remember my first run? You know what? I don't remember my first run, but here's, here's something interesting. So I hail from the Great White North, O Canada. And in, we say grade four, but U.S. is um, the fourth grade. My parents had divorced and we moved and I went to this new school and it was this public school. It's really fascinating. The school actually had something in play where all kids in the school, so it was grades um, kindergarten through grade six, your class would go out every day and you would have to run or walk, depending on your athletic ability, for 20 minutes every day, everyone, every single person. That was not recess, that was not lunch, which I think is fascinating. And I say that because something about running at that young an age, I really got into, which then led me to cross country, to track and things like that at at a young age. So hockey was always my passion and it probably still is. Um, But at the same time, that's where I first got introduced to running. It was with kids at a public elementary school where we were told we needed to do it, but I wanted to do it, it was fun. So talk to me about the progression from, from those 20 minutes into some of the things you've done over your athletic career. Why did, why did you go from a forced 20 minutes to some of the things that you have done? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good question. You know, so I guess the 20 minutes starts to form habit um, for one. So you get into it and then you just, you just kind of keep going. And again, speaking back to teammate is I tend to do better quite honestly, when I'm surrounding myself with people that are doing something that I want to do, right? And I think that running, that's what led me to cross country and track at that age. (laughs) As I'm thinking about this is uh, over time, I still, I think I prefer team, the true team sports, but I try to think of the cross country team as a team. And then when you kind of start moving toward high school, that was, uh, that was primarily almost solely team sports, and then in college, and then and then after that, as an adult, I think the the endurance sport starts to come into play, where you're kind of looking for something to challenge yourself um, to another level, and and that's what happened to me. I'm I'm also a real <laughs> I'm a real sucker for peer pressure in a good way. So um, whether that was going to watch a friend of mine who came into Chicago. Um, and so from Ottawa and he came into Chicago and he ran this half marathon and that's why he came in. But he, he wasn't a runner, by the way, this is the funny part. This actually inspired me to get into half marathons and marathon distances. I watched my friend who partied with us all night. Actually, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but we were partying like almost straight through the night. Then he goes and runs this half marathon, not fast. And I'm like, how did he do that? Honestly, that was the craziest little inspiration saying, I can do that. And so then the next year I ran it with my with my older sister, actually, the same Chicago half marathon. And then so it began. So it began <laughs> endurance sports. The rest the rest is history. What did that first finish line in Chicago feel like? So it felt great. Um I tend to have this attitude of 
I believe that I can do anything. I also believe there's always someone better than any one of us at any given point. So I'm not suggesting I'm the best, but I always believe I can do something. And here's what happened with the Chicago Half Marathon. I didn't really train that much, to be honest. I was kind of doing the 20 to 40 minute runs, just running, truly, like I had no plan. And I get to this race with my sister, who is an incredible athlete, Boston Marathon finisher, right? So she's done all this. So she's, she's got this whole thing. And so we were at the back of the tens of thousands of people at this race. And as we're coming up to the starting line, she could see him like chomping, like I really want to go. And you were, like, we're with crowds of people, but we were going to run it together as I like, use air quotes. And she goes, Kevin, why don't you just go ahead? Just go ahead. And she goes, I'll, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. You just go. I go, are you sure? And she goes, yeah. And then, of course, away I went. Adrenaline, like, driving me, going way beyond anything that I should have. And so I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running. She sees me. There's a loop of a turn on the Chicago Half Marathon where you're looking, you're up on a hill, and you're kind of looking down at those that have made the turn, um, kind of coming, working away back to the last three and a half, four miles. So somewhere around mile 10, nine and a half. As I'm coming back, she could see me, but I was like a mile ahead of her based on where the turn was. I didn't see her. And she goes, why were you going so fast? And this is after the race. And I said to her, I, this is how naive I was. I genuinely like naive, innocent comment. I was just trying to go as fast as I could until I could see the leaders. Then I was going to like let it off. Clearly, I was nowhere near the leaders. Nowhere <laughs> near. Nowhere. But in my mind, in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to keep going as hard. And I'm passing, passing people, right? How, how old were you? Oh, gosh, I'm like way too old to be this naive. I'm like, in, now I'm, I'm like 30 years old doing this race. It was hilarious. Um, and that was my first like half marathon distance. Before that was all cross country and stuff like that. But yeah, so I'm, I just went and did it. And then, then, like I said, it just the whole peer pressure from that led to triathlons, which went to Olympic, Olympic distances and Ironman, et cetera. That's wild. I have a similar story from my first marathon where it, I mean, this adrenaline is so powerful, particularly naivety paired with adrenaline. Uh, I ran my first marathon. There were about 300 people in the race and I had no business running the pace I was running. And I found myself at what I thought was the front of the race. Mm. And, and so 15 miles in, I'm like, how cool would it be if I won my first marathon? <laughs> and so I'm just like running way beyond my my capability at the time. This was 2014. And it just pushed me to mile 26. And I ended up it ended up being the second pack. So I wasn't too far off base. Yeah. But but it's amazing what the mind can do when either you're being dumb or you want to do something so true it's so true right like i think of so for me um another half marathon story was so noon was on course for the small race in in seattle and i wasn't even sure if i was going to run it that morning i was kind of working the booth and hydrating people and what you said also hit me was interesting here is I decided, you know what, I'm going to go do it. Like, I'm just going to, like, I knew I could run at that point. I've been running quite a bit. So it wasn't a matter of could I run it, but I actually had my fastest time ever. And I remember distinctly running with this, um, running stride for stride with this woman, like literally like we were stride for stride for miles right beside each other. 
and as we were running, um, she actually Kevin's pulled making off. finger finger motions of, of two runners running next to each other. It's really That's too bad true. that you guys can't all see this. We should be doing this on video. So <laughs> picture fingers running together here. So here we are running together. And then like there was one moment in time where we went to the hydration station and I kind of I cut her off by accident. I said, I'm so sorry. And she goes, well, no, it's all good. And she says to me, she goes, I just love your stride. I'm just trying to stick with you. And I'm thinking, I'm just trying to keep up with this woman. Like, truly, <laughs> like, I'm just like, hold on, just hold on to stay with her through the end of the race. Then this is the sad part. She pulls off at mile 11. She goes, hey, have a good finish to your race. I'm done. I'm like, wait, what? And she goes, <laughs> she goes, she goes, oh, it's just a training day for me. I'm just going to coast it in for the rest of the way. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm never going to make because <laughs> I was going way beyond my capability to keep up with her, honestly. Um, and we didn't talk barely at all. That was like the conversation was basic. What I just told you it was pretty funny. But the mind, to your point, you just push yourself. So you talk about teammate and to be locked in with someone else achieving a similar goal is so insanely powerful. My favorite experience or one of my favorite experiences with this is with a mutual friend of ours, Kara Goucher. Um, I did a workout with her in Boulder and it was 12 by one minute. She told me I'll probably do half, maybe a little bit more. And we get halfway through and she tells me this. She's like, I told Adam that I was only going to do half or maybe 10 reps. She's like, I'm having too much fun. I, I, can't, I can't stop now. And we get to 10. And she's like, I didn't think I'd be going more than 10, but you've got me on the rails and, and I can't stop now. And I said to her, I was like, I can't believe how fast I'm running. <laughs> and so it's this like amazing synergy of when you're, when you're pushing somebody else, you can do so much more. Now, I was smooth and I felt smooth the whole, the whole way through. And so it was like, it was the mental barrier of, wow, I can actually run this fast. It was, I was like, I'm doing a workout with Kara Goucher. I'm not slowing down now. <laughs> like, yep. absolutely not. Yeah. I'm going to stay consistent. And so it's like these things that we can trick ourselves into doing can create breakthroughs. Like, I'm sure the woman you ran with was like, cool, I can do that. And maybe she had never run that pace for that long before. But when she goes to do it again, maybe solo, She'll have that experience of, yeah, I, I can do that. This is not a problem. Or, yeah, that was hard, but I'm going to do it again. And then we level up. And that's like that's the piece that I love so much about running that or life or anything where you do these hard things. You find a way to make it more manageable, whether it's running with someone or doing it you know, in a favorite place or whatever. And then you do it again, and it's easier. So true. Right. And it, there's a life lesson here is you are who you surround yourself with. Also, note, they're surrounding themselves with you. So you have you have a role to play here. Like your role with Kara was, and yes, it's the Kara Goucher, but your role was to keep keep pressing too. And like, as she said, I was having so much fun. You kept her going beyond what she thought was going to be her limit that day. And, and for whatever that is for Kara, right? But I think there's something so powerful on that. And I do think there is something there that people 
need to always self-reflect on is again, you are who you surround yourself with and know that you have a role as well to elevate them. Like we both do. I'm taking notes here because I love that you have a role part and you are who you surround yourself with. It makes so much sense. I mean, you look at any great performance, it's not done alone. You look at Des winning the Boston Marathon. She didn't run it tape to tape by herself. She ran it to try and help Shalane. It was so, I don't want to say effortless, but she conserved so much mental energy by doing something for somebody else that when she happened to find herself in a place to execute later in the race and make a move, she could. Yeah, that's that's so true. Do you get, do you get energy when you're, well, let's just use a race, whether you're racing or not, but you're in a race and you make comments to other people to, to inflect some energy on them. Does that give you energy back or do you even do that? So I do that and I find it so motivating going both ways. I'll often do it for the purpose of psyching the other person up, but also for myself. Like I've run, I've run races. I, I ran Boston in 2015 and 2017. And like I spent the entire race basically doing that. I finished the race in 2015 and my triceps were sore from like fist pumping and like making oh, so awesome. much, yeah. so much like my legs were fine. I couldn't move my arms or do anything with my arms the next day. It was wild. Um, but I, yeah, again, I think it's the energy that you're bringing to others. You're also bringing it to yourself. And so if you're a positive person and you're, you're always pumping other people up, Either those people are going to pump you up or you're going to pump yourself up. I have a friend, uh, Brad Lindbergh, who is, it goes by Brad Runs Far on social media. And his joke is he's Brad the kudos bot. And he just gives so many kudos to people, both literally and figuratively. And it's like this is his contribution to the running community. And it comes full circle because of how supportive he is he gets that support from all of the people that he supports. And so it's this like feedback loop of you do something for somebody else and it comes back to you. I agree with you. I, by the way, I, I love the, I love the kudos bot. That one, I might, I might note that one down. I love that. <laughs> I, I, and I asked that too, cause I get a similar energy to you. Um, and you have to do it with a little bit of caution cause you don't want to deflate somebody around you either by, you know, having this energy and saying big props to somebody and then cruising by them. So you, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a balance, right? But <laughs> if you do with this, if you do with a smile on your face, I think it's fine. I have a ton of photos of me like yelling in marathons and everybody around me is smiling. And so there's a, there's a photo of me at mile 25 of the 2017 Boston marathon. And I've got this disgusting mustache and I'm just like shouting and fist pumping. And, and this woman is just like grinning ear to ear. Oh, and this is great. at mile, mile 25. And so like I like to think that, that the energy that we're bringing to the race and to the spectators is being absolutely returned. And if, if you're in a tough patch and you can't fake a smile and it's, you know, you're registering it internally, fine. I like it. That's good. That's good. I feel better now. <laughs> so isn't it funny it's like a lot of a lot of these races are you start them by yourself and you definitely 
don't finish them by yourself. And I think that that's one of the things that I love most about racing. It's like, what's going to happen between the start line and the finish line? And who's going to be a part of this journey? It's, it's so true, right? Because once you get a pace, and if you're holding that, then they're likely, whoever is around you is holding, at some point, somebody's holding a similar pace to you. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's such a great point. Yet, there isn't a lot of words spoken, right? You have this connection, but not a lot of words. It's so cool, though, because there's a lot of, a lot that can happen. I don't know how to say this, but like, like unspoken racing or, or like the, the feel or the connection you can have to someone as you're running stride for stride with them for miles. You, you don't even need to say anything. It is such a, such a cool and powerful experience. I agree. I totally agree. As long as you're not suffering so much, you can't even really focus on that. But <laughs> been there just too. in your own pain cave. So are you training for anything at the moment? Uh, life? No. <laughs> um, nothing run-wise. Oh, well, well here, here's a couple things. So I, I like to always just have some goal in front of me. There's three things on the docket for, for this year for me. One, I am now building on training for an Everest challenge, but it's not running. It's actually bike. Uh, so my my incredible cousin back in Ottawa, Canada, is a paramedic, and um, paramedics have they, they go through some really they see horrible stuff, as I'm sure all of us here can expect, right? And so mental health is a real challenge. You can't unsee what you've seen, and over years it starts to build up. So Derek um, Davis, my cousin, wants to do an Everest challenge around the theme of um, climb mountains, don't carry them. And the whole idea is to raise awareness around mental health, right? So talk it out. So I, I told him, I said, I'm in. I'll do it with you. Um, and so we're doing an Everest challenge, uh, which is climbing Haleakai, if I pronounce that correctly, in Maui. Um, so that volcano three times, so about 33,000 feet. So I'm training for that. I've never climbed that far on a bike. Like, yeah, I've never climbed that far. I might have done 10,000 once or twice, but that's it. Um, the other one, how about this one? Here's, here's one that might make you smile. I want to run, which by the way, it's easy to do the record that I'm about to say, cause no one's done it before, but I want, I want to run the fastest mile in an inflatable noon tube costume. <laughs> <laughs> so that noon tube inflatable costume will be somewhere around 12 feet high to give you some perspective. So it'll be interesting to see how this mile goes and that in, I'm intending to do that in July, possibly around you know a retailer uh, around their store floor so still still to be determined on that one but it was to draw awareness to that one but at the same time it was this could be just fun and just be silly and then the third one is uh, if I can get some miles back under my feet for running this year um, do the LA marathon again I did that one just before the pandemic shut down so that would be in November and the Everest challenge would be in October so yeah I got I got a lot of work to do very cool. A lot of fun and and good stuff mixed in there. You should enlist Jesse Thomas to run that mile with you, and he can he can notch the fastest uh, mile in an inflatable dinosaur. That's a great call. I will battle of the CEOs. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be hilarious! I love that idea. All right, I will reach out to him on that. <laughs> Amazing. 
Thanks again to Beam for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. As the days start to warm up and get longer, a cool-down routine in the evening becomes even more important. Did you know that you can get a subscription to Beam's Dream Powder? It's what I use most nights before bed to help with a refreshing night's sleep. When you subscribe, you'll get the Dream Blend with a bunch of perks like even better pricing, free shipping, a free mug, and a drink frother just for signing up. Dream helps me wind down at night, and it's made with compounds like melatonin and magnesium that support a better night's sleep. Make sure to use the code FTLR at checkout for an extra 15% off the already discounted 20% off monthly rate. Thanks again to Super Coffee for supporting this episode. I have been loving their French vanilla and hazelnut flavors and the cold brew cans. Super Coffee combines the caffeine from two cups of coffee with protein and healthy fats to give you hours of focused energy with no jitters or crash. I love it as a strong start to the day. Receive 15% off of your purchase at drinksupercoffee.com slash FTLR or use the code FTLR at checkout. I recommend trying one of their variety packs or bundles. If you give it a try, let me know what you think. And now back to our conversation. I like the climb mountains don't carry them. I think the focus on mental health is understated or or um, very necessary to say the least. And I'm super curious how you as an organizational leader have made this a priority for the team or just the overall health. You're part of a company that is focused on health and improving people's health through sport and you have a product that helps them do that. So talk to me about the the living the brand and starting from the top and how do you how do you have the impact on your employees? A really good question. Um, well, mental health, uh, gosh, that's sure has come to the forefront, right, in the last year and a half. And obviously, it should have been at the forefront before that. But I just think about the social unrest that is still happening, but definitely was at a real peak level in 2020. So we've got a lot of work to do. And I think about our team, by the way, that, that we're going through that. Then you got a pandemic and the uncertainty of all that. So when it comes to the mental health and keeping a team energized, a culture, 2020 might have been the toughest year that I've ever experienced in my career from that perspective anyway. But the team the team rallied. It's really incredible how resilient people are in general in the, in the team at noon. So I think when it comes to having a vibrant culture, a thriving culture, there's, there's a few things that, that I tend to focus on and it's this, it really comes down to one, what's what's your mission? So we have a collective impact that we're trying to make that's bigger than the product we're selling. So the consumer may or may not know that in behind the scenes, but in behind the scenes at noon, like people are like, everyone is an athlete. Every single person at noon is an athlete. Even as we grow, you need to believe in the power of movement. When I say athlete, that could be interpreted as, oh, everyone's competing in a race. No, not necessarily. It kind of comes back to you and I both have a passion point for November Project, you know, and the free fitness movement and democratizing of movement. In this case, it's the same thing with noon. It's like, just move more, just move more. And then how do we lead by example? So I think, one, you have, a, have to have a bigger mission than the product or what it is that you're doing. Like, what's the bigger picture? Why are you doing what you're doing? So that's, the I think, the key catalyst to start. I think when it comes to culture, there's also a lead by example. And I, I truly try to take that to heart and do that. I've once heard that you can't call yourself a leader, right? 
other people call you a leader. It's earned. It's not by a position or hierarchy by default. So you can kind of see that with my chief eternal optimist. I'm trying to break down that barriers. Now I want to earn the leadership position. So how, how do you lead by example? Servant leadership. How do I help you? Right? There's a there's a business consultant that I've followed for many years. His name's Tom Peters. He's known as the Red Bull of business consultants. And he said this um, statement, he goes, we're all in the business, every one of us, every one of us. So think about this, of like this comment, we're all in the business of serving people, every single one of us. And then you go, think about this. So as you scale and get bigger, it's people serving people, serving people. And so when you do that, that ensures that you realize the value of every single person and how do you help them feel that value? And I think that's mission critical. So that servant leadership is, I think, a really big deal. And that servant leadership to the bigger picture of what we're doing. Culture is, as you know, I'm so passionate about culture. I think it's the biggest advantage, sustaining advantage of any team period, sport, business, school, if it's sustained over time. It is the biggest competitive advantage. And the thing is, culture is an ecosystem that's alive. It's, it's not a checklist. It's not like, oh, I did culture today, or I'll do it next week. It's alive. Any person that comes in changes the culture. Someone leaves, changes the culture. Something good happens or bad happens within your team environment, it changes. So you have to constantly build it and make it resilient. And all of your strategy lives within there. And that that's a different paradigm, by the way, for a lot of people, because a lot of people think of, okay, what's the strategy I need to do? And what do I need to do for the people? No, no. Culture is where everything lives. That's alive and strategies inside it. And so that's the kind of mindset that at least I try to not only live, but also preach, if you will, with the rest of the team so that we all do it. It comes back to you are who you surround yourself with. So I need to lead by example. But then I, I say this to the team, Jonathan, all the time. I'm like, team, you have a role too. It's not my culture. It's our culture. So every one of us has a role to play. And I say that frequently, just to keep that top of mind. So people self-reflect on, am I helping or hurting? Am I an energy giver or an energy taker? How am I moving things forward? I love all of that. I think you could write a book on this. Um, I've heard <laughs> you on other podcasts talking about building culture and creating culture. And I think that the statement of culture is the best sustainable advantage is very on point. I mean, my own experience in the startup world is, I mean, it's more, it's more demanding and more people are doing more things. And there's a point where you know, in, in the startup world, you need to go above and beyond at times or always. And it's very hard to do that for people who aren't team players and who aren't contributing good all across the board. And then the servant leadership. So servant leadership is, a, is an actual principle. It's not just a couple of words that Kevin is using here. Um, so for those who might not know, can you explain servant leadership? And And the reason I want you to explain this is, I think it's very important and I think it's a, a very strong management style that does you don't just need to be at the top of the totem pole to be able to do it. Yeah, what you just said was really key. That very last component, you don't need to be at the top of a hierarchy to be able to do it. Spot on. I think uh, I've, I've never actually thought about how to define it like succinctly, but I'm going to try this right now. Is It's the opposite of a zero-sum game. It's about abundance mentality, meaning, so Jonathan, if we're on the same team, which we are in some ways, right? 
your win is my win, right? And so the whole concept is if I help serve you, help you proceed, help you excel, help you move forward, that's the whole servant leadership. How can I help you, right? That comes back to you in some way or another, maybe directly, indirectly, who knows, maybe even in the future as a pay it forward. It does pay back. And I think that's the way I look at servant leadership is how do you help your teammates move forward? And by doing so, right, it helps the collective group rise, including yourself. It, it will. And I, I think we, we kind of grow up in, in a sports environment, business environment, the zero-sum game. So it's this win-lose mentality. And in fact, if you even think of the noon positioning and how we've we've actually addressed the sport nutrition market, we've actually not gone with this win-lose mentality, even outwardly as a brand. We looked at the scoreboard brands, right? Like the, the Gatorades, and it's like, you have to be the best. It's like, no, that's not true. We want people to be their best. So if you're crossing the tape first, awesome. If you're running your first 5K, awesome right? It's all good. It really is constantly moving. So this whole servant and grading, really moving the greater good as a team or a society, I, that's how I look at it. Yeah, I love it. And I, I've lived the experience too. The, our CEO follows the same principle in terms of leadership. And it's wild how different it is versus some of the other things I've experienced or heard about. It changes the dynamic and it changes the dynamic of the team. It changes the dynamic of the response when somebody asks you to do something because you know why they're asking you to do it and you know that you delivering them something helps you and helps them and the the motivation and the um yeah the motivation is is the same everybody has the same goal which is powerful if you're able to align a team to focus on one thing and you're both incentivized or motivated or engaged to achieve that same thing, your route to the end zone will be different for each person, but it's the same end zone. So you're, you're all trying to get there. It's so true, right? And, and think about this one. I love, I've, again, overused sports analogies, but how about this? So I, I played hockey, right? And at times- I think that's a requirement since you're Canadian, right? It is. It's, yeah, you actually have your citizenship is revoked if you don't play hockey <laughs> or at least love the game. Right. <laughs> um, so- I think about this as, you know, playing hockey, there were times where I could be on what's known as the first line, you're the starter, and, you know, you're on the ice or a power play, and, you know, your role is to be offense and score. Honestly, there's many times, many times, where I'm on the bench, and my role is, basically, it's one, is support your teammates, be ready, but it's not necessarily on the ice. Like there, it's, it shifts on a team all the time. And you have to be comfortable on kind of playing the different roles. And, it, and if you can do that through a servant leadership mentality, all of a sudden you're not on the bench going, why not me? Why not me? You're just, I'm always ready, but I'm cheering on my team. I'll get my chance. It's so important. And I think it's lost in a lot of cultures. And it's, it's not even rocket science. Like it's such a, it just feels like common sense in many ways. So. How do you get people to embrace this culture where they might be coming from a different company and their experience is much more top down? Yeah, I think I think communication can can help on that one. So, you know, giving kudos back to that publicly on individuals and teams 
starts to set the tone of how to do these things. Now, there's also not everything's always working, right? So what you don't want to do is when an individual makes a mistake, you don't want to call it an individual in front of the team, but you do want to address it. It's, you know, Kevin, you missed on this. Here's what's going on. Now, how do we move this forward? But that's that's kind of done on one-on-one. But it's important that you have those. Because here's the thing. You So this the saying that I, where I speak to about energy giving versus energy taking, energy giving doesn't mean that everything is always great. In fact, I say this a lot to the team to keep reminding them because this positivity optimism that comes from me a lot of times doesn't mean everything's great. So I want to hear the issues or we need to talk about the issues, right? Again, don't call an individual out, but you can call it an issue with the team and say, then what are we going to do about this? So the energy giving is how do you keep it moving forward? So what now? What's that? And so creating that behavior, leading by example and recognizing it, I think is where this momentum builds on it and it starts to feed itself. The caution here is, I think it was Daniel Pink. I might've heard this from and I, I think it was him, but there's a thought of you, you want to be really careful that you don't create this kind culture or nice culture. That was it. Not kind, nice. And meaning it doesn't mean you don't want to be nice. Sometimes nice cultures hide things. It's like, I can't actually tell you what the issue is because you don't want to hear it. And that that's the caution flag, by the way, in this if the pendulum goes too far on positivity and optimism is people may not think they can do it. So you also need to recognize people or teams where there's a mistake. It's like, we made a mistake. That was good though, because here's why they did it. Now here's what we're going to do differently. And so you can say, I quickly shift it to, so what now? So what now? But I, I really do think it is upon everyone, especially, you know, for me, I think I set a lot of the tone by doing that. People will start to emulate that behavior. And, and I think, I'm always on the watch out for, hey, let's be careful. We're not the nice culture. We're a kind, purposeful, intentional culture, but we're not suppressing issues or suppressing feedback. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It, particularly the give kudos publicly and give criticism privately. I think that like I've made that mistake and then I can I can reflect and see a lot of public kudo giving and you don't see that much, you know, calling, oh, you did this wrong, fix this. Yeah, I love that. That's like a takeaway that I'm going <laughs> to make right away uh, or, or a change I'm going to make right away. I love that. Switching gears a little bit, talk to me about the, the overlap of the lessons that you learn as an executive and how you're applying it to sport. So I, I did an interview a couple weeks ago and the writer asked me, do you have any lessons that you've learned from running that you've applied to life? And I said, literally all of them. <laughs> so, so talk to me about maybe your, your top takeaway from, from one arena to the other. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think there's so many life lessons to sport. That's why I love to use those analogies. Like when I think about sport, it's, you know, it's using the, it's, it's kind of the, the emblem on the front is more important than the back in some ways when you think of a team first mentality. That being said, you know, every individual has a role. So I think there's this team first mentality that I really try to push forward with the team at noon as an example, or any, any team I've been on, honestly, my entire career. And it's like, what's the mission of the team? And so I think that applies in sport. 
as it does to to business. And if you think sport, like I, I think of team sports, but it doesn't have to be, right? Again, if you're on you're on a track team, a cross-country team, it's very much an individual, but yet at the same time, you're part of a team. And so how do you propel the whole thing forward? So I know, I know I've mentioned that one, that one quite a bit. Maybe the other one is, if I think about marathon, in fact, I remember um, talking to Kara Goucher on this one on marathons, and she's like, the race actually doesn't start until mile 20. And so what you don't want to do is be overwhelmed on how daunting the task is when you start. And so I think there's there's a really big deal here of how do you break it into pieces, keep moving forward, right, and recognizing the progress that you're going to make. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You're coming to the to the finish line or at least a big milestone, depending on if it's life or a race. In this case, this is the finish line. Life is usually a milestone. And so I, th- I think that's a really big deal, that life lesson. And and I, I hold that one to heart. Sometimes I, I miss it. You know, here, here's the thing. People tend to overestimate what they can do in a year, but underestimate what they can do in three to five years. So they probably, (laughs) when you think about a race, probably me doing a half marathon, I can catch the leaders or at least see the leaders, as I joke about earlier. Um, But that that was way overestimating. But if you think about how I got to the end, it's like, but I underestimated what I was actually capable of, what I could run it in the end. And I think those, those are two. I think the team component, and I think there's also don't overestimate what you can accomplish in a little bit of time, like a shorter period of time, but don't underestimate the potential of your impact longer term. Very cool. It sort of builds into my favorite discussion, which is process versus outcome. Mm. Uh, I'm curious your take on this as both an executive and organizational leader who has tangible metrics you need to meet, as well as an endurance athlete who understands that it's never about the metrics. So how do you how do you rectify that? What's your take on process versus outcome? That's an internal struggle for me. I think goals give us something to strive for in sport and in business. And so I like to have that flag post to, you know, the the end zone, the goal, like wherever it is you're trying to get to, I like to put that flag there. And so focusing on there, are we getting closer? Are we getting closer? Is very outcome focused really in many ways. At the same time, you can only connect the dots, right, in your career journey, in your life journey, looking backwards. I heard that from Steve Jobs on a, on a commencement speech he once said. And that's why I keep reminding myself the journey is actually the most important. I never thought I would be, if you asked me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would be here uh, leading the team at noon, you know, recently just got a got acquired i would have said you're crazy i have no idea no that's not that's not happening but here we are and so i think the point is the process really if you can channel your energy there and and be present in the now and work the plan and know that that's not necessarily going to stay to plan so you need to keep being ready to be flexible it's truly more important ultimately than than that outcome like I said, to be honest, I struggle with it because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel like I have that push and pull in my head all the time. So I tend to surround myself with folks that are 
especially in business, that are more pragmatic than me. They're more thoughtful on the what could happen, what are some of the issues. And so I do that because I know that I tend to go, there's the flagpost, let's go. But I'm listening to my teammates that might think more process-driven. So I, I surround myself with those that have that strength to complement it, to keep me in check. And I think of that with sport too. When I was training for half Ironmans, I decided to get a coach because I was kind of flippant on my strategy. But you tell me, tell me what to do and, and tell me how to adjust because I'm so focused on race day. Um, and that keeps me tempered because every workout I was like, you know, all out, which does, makes no sense. <laughs> no sense at all. And I know that intuitively, but yet it's like, I, I feel good. Let's go. And then, of course, then I injure myself. So. Yeah, uh, it's a that's an internal struggle as well. Feeling fresh and saving yourself. I love the part about you can only connect the dots looking backwards mm -hmm. um, and reminding yourself that the journey is the most important. I've been taking like I feel like I'm in a class. I'm like taking copious notes over here. <laughs> um, I too struggle with this, and this is why I ask it to people like yourself and others who are successful in sport and business because there isn't one answer that's right or that works. And so I'm like trying to get to how do I, as someone who's judged on numbers, focus on one year down the road, three years down the road, five years down the road, and know that the numbers are notches along the way and they're check-ins and data points, but they're not, they don't matter. They do matter, but they don't matter. It's mm -hmm. what happens with all of these check-ins and all of these data points and how are you improving and how are these check-ins and data points getting better by things that you're doing to influence them. And so I think it's like, I think it's, it is this internal struggle that many of us who understand training principles of it doesn't matter if you run tomorrow as long as you run consistently. And it doesn't matter if you miss this milestone as long as you make most of the other ones and you're improving along the way. So then how do you rectify that with, okay, so does this one matter or does it not matter? Mm. And it's like it, I go back and forth. It's like they all matter, but they don't matter individually. Does that make sense? Totally. You know, I th maybe maybe the, the thought process that we should all have is around adaptability to like constantly adapt. Like you said, you were, you're tapping into the, the line of um, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. I think the same thing is when you think about that is you need to be flexible and adaptable. So I think it's good to have a target for our run today, Jonathan. Let's go, you know, run a seven minute mile pace for whatever length of time. And it was an off day and hamstrings were tight and whatever it was. And, you know, I, I really just couldn't muster anything more than a 7.30 or 7.20, whatever it is, or a nine minute. I think the point is, how do I adapt? How do I be flexible? And I think you have to, it's okay to have that goal, but it's also recognizing if it misses, I think it still comes back to this, so what now? Okay, well, Regroup, what happened? What's going on? What's the feedback loop that I'm having? Because you're still trying to get to your mission of I want to qualify for Boston or I want to I want to finish in the top 10% in Boston. Who knows? Whatever your goal is. And so 
as long as that journey is far enough out, you just recognize that you will constantly adapt and have many goals within there. So it is important because it's a feedback loop for you. And just make sure you're listening to that feedback loop so that you can figure out how to improve. Don't keep doing the same thing over and over again, right? That's the definition of insanity, according to Einstein. So I, I think that's the key is don't sweat it. It is just a metric at the end of the day, but it is a feedback loop that helps you think through how do I want to do something differently moving forward. Um, and it, it gives you that. It, it's actually, think of it as almost like a gift. It's going, okay, well, I've got to do something differently here. Uh, yeah, I find, that, I find this part to be fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. Again, getting back to Jesse Thomas, he said on his podcast, or the, the Work, Play, Love podcast uh, with Lauren, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of a plan is just a plan and it's the guardrails basically. Mm. And if you follow the plan all the time, something will break. Whether it's if we're talking about training and you follow the plan to a T, you are going to do something when you shouldn't do it, a workout when you should be taking an easy day or an off day, or if you apply this to the business world, you're going to just stay on track with blinders on and not adapt to what comes up along the way. Whereas the plan gives you the, the road to travel down, but it's all the things that pop up along the way that, yep. that you should be paying attention to. Makes sense. He's one wise individual for sure. <laughs> <laughs> one smart dinosaur. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, he, he really is. Gosh, there's somebody that I think does things in unconventional ways that is so admirable. Whether it was training and, and winning some Ironman races um, and getting to Kona to, you know, what he did with picky bars. Yeah, his, he has a very unconventional approach. And I, th I think that's because he has a plan, but he's also constantly adapting and recognizing by adapting and bringing in different ways of doing things, it actually makes him sharper. For sure. We spoke about this quite a lot on the podcast we did together, which was one of the last live podcasts I did, which mm. puts that episode number likely in the low 50s for anybody who's looking to find that one and give it a listen. We recorded at the running event in Austin, Texas in December of 2019 and, and definitely, definitely had a blast and then probably ate some barbecue later that day. <laughs> I love it. I'll, I'm going to go back and listen to that one. It's got to it be a good, a good one. one. I guarantee it. Was a good it. one. Mm -hmm. He, after we finished, he said, man, that was fun. You asked me questions I've never been asked before. And I was like, that's great. That's my goal. <laughs> I don't want to ask the same questions as everybody else asks. He's been on a million podcasts. So many athletes are on so many podcasts, and, and I don't care to ask the questions that, that everybody else asks. Yeah. What's driving you to do podcasts? So... I started this podcast after a conversation I had with Zach Miller in Colorado in 2018. We had just run the Manitou Incline, and we were having dinner. And I, he was running, I don't know, 150 miles a week at the time. A couple years prior, I had I had watched him finish a 50 mile race um, at North Face, California, and uh, this was in 2016 or 2017. And he passed me at his mile 49. And I was running a marathon relay, so I was at like mile five of a 10K. Wow, And okay. he absolutely blew my doors off. Like four-minute mile 
pace faster than what I was running or something like stupid like that. And I was like, how, why, like what, what drives you to do this? And he put his fork down and talked for 10 minutes about why he runs. And so I was having all these conversations organically through what I get to do through work. And I was like, man, I'm sitting on gold. This stuff is so interesting. So mm-hmm. I just love exploring like why people do things and why they are successful and what allows them to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's selfish if I don't share all these nuggets of wisdom that I get. Like I get to hang out with Olympians and gold medalists and all these people and I'm picking their brain all the time, whether we're going for a run or getting coffee or whatever. And if I don't share that, like what's the, I mean, there's a point. Sure. It's fun. It's engaging. Sure. It's a conversation. Yeah. But it, but my opinion was I'm sitting on gold and this must be shared. And so I was like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to write, how to do a podcast, but fuck it. I'll figure it out. So that was, that was January of 2019. And I started putting it out and like thousands of people started listening immediately, which talk about feedback loop. I was expecting a hundred people or 200 people. And those first few episodes have like, they now have like 5,000 listens. I'm like, I can't believe this many people listen. And thank you to those of you who are listening for, for listening to me indulge in my own curiosities and, and explorations. And so the reason I keep doing it is because I learn so much from every episode. Like this last hour with you, like I'm going to do things differently today because of the conversation that we just had. And this has happened 170 times now. So if I'm learning every single time I do this, it's like it's a therapy session. It's a it's a consulting and strategy conversation. It's a it's like it's sharpening me in every conversation that I have. And then thousands of people get to spend their run listening to me blabber for, for an hour and somebody else talk about all their everything they know that's smart. <laughs> well, you have, a, you have a knack of bringing out the best in people and, you know, recognize that, like you said, I get to surround myself with these Olympians that you were, you know, using as an example. They also get to surround themselves with you. So that's, that's super cool. Well, I appreciate I that. It. Thanks I, for sharing. Of course. Thank, thank you for asking. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap for today. Um, so until we, until we do this again in person, uh, where can we find you on social? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, you can find me. Um, <laughs> I have a bit of a weird handle for Twitter and, and Instagram. So clean lantern, it's actually clean underscore lantern. The, by the way, the little story behind that was before I was the CEO I was also the chief eternal optimist before noon at um, Mrs. Meyer's Clean Day. And my team had named me the Clean Lantern because of my passion for making the planet healthier. And the Green Lantern movie was coming out at the time um, when they came up with that that thought. So I created this Twitter handle at the time, called myself the Clean underscore Lantern. Um, and uh, now I just let it stick. I've always been curious, so thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, the whole idea is a little beacon for light, um, if, if I could, for the planet, humanity, and, and I'm you know, becoming more and more passionate about just animal rights as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Kevin, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and sharing, uh, sharing your light and optimism with, with my audience here. 
It's a privilege, honor, and I'm super grateful. Thank you to you. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. 